those are really the same things that I turned to when I was deployed to Kuwait. And I feel like nothing has reminded me of long-term slight stress that you can't always really feel out like it was when I was deployed. And I'm just applying the same tactics that I did when I was there. And so, I mean, it's, it's working. Of course, it's hard for different reasons because it's not exactly the same, but you know, just keeping in touch with family and letting myself off the hook and gravitating toward what makes me feel happy in the moment has been really what's worked the best. Welcome to the Sasquatch Trail Runners Podcast, where every run is a trail party. I'm your host, Kim Levinsky, and today we're sharing the recording from our Run Venture Zoom series on August 26, 2020. We sat down with ultra runner, mountain biker, and real-life hero, Rebecca Lewandowski, to swap trail stories, hear about her roller skating endeavors, and, most importantly, we got to hear all about the lessons that she has learned about enduring through tough times. So sit back and relax, or stuff some pancakes in your hydration pack to hit the trails, and enjoy the show. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at the Wow Runner Hotline, the first ever hotline for trail runners like you and me who just need someone to listen to us when we want to talk about the trails. Are your friends and family totally drained and exhausted from listening to your 458 running stories? Have you noticed them making strange excuses about having to go walk the cat when you start telling them about what heel drop you prefer? Well, now you no longer have to rely on them for approval or affirmation. Dial 1-800-WOW-RUNNER. 1-800-W-O-W-R-U-N-R. The WOW Runner specialists are eagerly awaiting your call and are excited to listen to you tell them about how you lost your toenail on your run this morning. Call today and mention the Sasquatch Trail Runners podcast to receive five bonus calls. 1-800-W-O-W-R-U-N-R. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Run Venture Zoom series. We are here with Rebecca Lewandowski, ultra runner, cyclist, and real-life hero. So we're going to be introducing her in a couple of minutes. First, I want to give you a quick background on Sasquatch Trail Running, in case you're not familiar with who we are and what we do. So we started hosting trail parties. That's what we call our trail races in 2018. And we now host races all around the state of New Jersey. We're up to about 10 or 11 events. They have been on hold because of the pandemic, but we are so excited to share that our Squatchung Surprise Race is a go for September 26th. We just got the permit for that. We announced it a few days ago, and the six and three hour events sold out in 25 or 26 hours. All the spots were taken out. So that was really exciting. We saw some spots for the 5K for that event. And we do have a wait list open for the three and six hours. So you can slap your name on there for either event. If you really want to get in, we're going to be contacting the registered runners as we get closer to the event to see if anyone is going to give up their spots. We just wrapped up our Blue Mountain Ultra Squatch event that took place at Stokes State Forest in Branchville, New Jersey. So if you ran that race and you have not emailed me your time to go on Ultra Sign Up, today is the last day to do that. So just send me a screenshot of your event just make sure it shows the total time not the moving time so we can see what your final time was for the uh, seven mile 17 mile or 34 mile for that and then lastly on monday this past week we started the squatch hunt which is one of our most fun annual events that we do during the year and this is basically this crazy combination of a scavenger hunt and flat Stanley and trails. So whenever you're out on the trail, your goal is to take as many pictures of you can as the items that are on the official Squatch Hunt list. We posted that all on social media. So it's things like crossing a stream or sticking your head in the waterfall, planking on a log. But the only catch is that you have to include your mini Sasquatch in every picture. So You can either print out the little picture that we have on social media and color laminate your own, or you can use our little mini Sasquatches that you can order from us. And um, it's just a super fun event. It's really, it's family friendly. We have a lot of kids participating in it. And that is going on for the next two weeks. 
So that's about all the news that's going on in Sasquatch world. So for tonight, as you can see, I am joined by Rebecca Lewandowski. I'm going to give her a Squatchtastic introduction so you know a little bit about who she is and how we met. So I met Rebecca in 2018 at the Squatchung Surprise Race. She came to the race with basically the baddest of bad ladies. She was there with Maggie Guterrell and Rhoda Smoker and Melissa Trolline was also there. And I remember, you know, these ladies showed up and one of my all-time favorite pictures from Sasquatch is the starting line of the six-hour event where these ladies are right in front and they are just like ready to dominate and they went on to of course do that. So Rebecca that day she went down in Sasquatch history not only by finishing sixth place overall she covered 33.1 miles in six hours but she also earned the highly coveted saltiest runner award. Uh, Rebecca's fine with me saying this. We, we chatted about it. There aren't <laughs> words to describe how salty you were that day. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so uh, if you're familiar with the Squatchung Surprise Race, all the runners for the three and the six hour event have to carry along these little uh, notebooks that they use to verify the miles that they cover. And Rebecca's <laughs> notebook was literally deteriorated from <laughs> the amount of salt and sweat <laughs> that came out. So she went down in Sasquatch history for that. So Rebecca is not only an ultra runner and an accomplished mountain biker, she's also serving on the front lines of the federal task force for the COVID-19 pandemic and the Ebola outbreak. So she serves on the pandemic response team as a biologist for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services in the capital, Washington, D.C. And through her time as a biologist with the government, she has served overseas. She was even deployed to Kuwait with the U.S. Army. And I, I hope that we get time to chat about that because <laughs> I got a little sneak peek when we connected on the phone a few weeks ago and I got to hear some awesome stories about that. So we've, we've kept in touch through social media since that race. And I have to say that personally, I have been so inspired by Rebecca and especially the content that she shares online. Because if you're on Facebook, to put it lightly, there's a lot of garbage that goes online. And Rebecca just constantly posts not only things that are motivational, but super authentic either personal things or things that are going on that she's seeing in her job. And I have personally admired the way that she has responded to the sometimes ridiculously stupid comments that go on her social media posts, just dummies that post junk on there. And she always responds with respect, facts, and grace. And I just, I super admire that. So Rebecca, again, was at the top of the list to come on our Run Venture Zoom series. I've shared it before, but it's super important to me that we have strong, amazing women who are doing incredible things, not only on the trail, but off the trail. And Rebecca fits that to a T. So Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us, taking time out of your crazy, crazy life to come on the Zoom. That is an incredibly humbling introduction. <laughs> and I only hope I can live up to what you've explained in terms of our previous conversation as far as totally. my experience and you know my approach. And I actually, Maggie sent me a message just last night saying that that day that we all met was one of the funnest days of her life. And I cannot agree more with yeah. her and Rhoda and myself. Uh, like wrote a smoker and just the way that whole day unfolded in terms of you know none of us were really there I think Rhoda had just like won uh, a 50 miler or 100 miler the week before yes. and was probably completely burnt out and Maggie constantly trading for whatever's next and you know none of us prioritizing you know beating each other but we were actually really happy that we drew the same golf balls out of yes. the pot for the first few. I mean, I don't know if you want to explain further about the golf balls, but we loved that we got to run the first few rounds of that together. It was so funny because when that happened, we were like, wait, 
do we like are they not understanding the rules they got to pick different golf balls but then we realized it was just what exactly what it is the luck of the draw you guys just happened to pick the same golf balls it was like for a couple of rounds right Mm -hmm. yeah and that's why that's what made it so fun is because I think for the first at least three rounds we got to do we picked the longest route which I believe was four plus miles So we got to just shoot the shit with each other, excuse my language, you know, but, you know, we just got to catch up and talk about our races. And then after that, it was kind of like, well, now we'll just go with whatever strategy we need to. And the way it shook out was just so, you know, we, we, you could get back and see who's where and, you know, what's going on. And based on your mindset for the day, it it was just... I agree with Maggie. It was the fun, well, one of the funnest days of my life. <laughs> oh, that is, that is so awesome. And, the, you know, from our side, too, as an RD and volunteers, it really is just so much fun. And it never gets old. I mean, we probably, you see hundreds of times people are reaching, runners are reaching the golf ball uh, bucket. And just every time it's either, oh, like they don't like the color or they're excited for the color that they pick. So it's just a super fun race. And I'm personally so excited. That's the first race we're coming back with after Mm -hmm. having, um, because we haven't had events since, since March. So Mm -hmm. to come back with the surprise, I think is going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Rebecca, fill us in. Tell us about who you are as an athlete. How did you get into the endurance world? And uh, what, what do we need to know about you as an athlete? Uh, well, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, I grew up in suburban life, so I probably was always kind of enrolled in organized sports, but it wasn't really until after college and getting, you know, into what I wanted to decide for, you know, my own athletic perspective, what entertained me. I never really ran um, competitively or anything like that in college or beyond, but it was something that I was really drawn to. And I think it was during grad school that I just one day decided, I think, you know, a marathon would be a good challenge. So, you know, I started training for that. And because I'm overly ambitious, decided the first one I would do would be at altitude, even though I lived in New Jersey. (laughs) So, you know, I signed up for one and then I was like, okay, well, I did that. What's longer? And let me just sign up for an ultra marathon. So I, of course, I again signed up for one at Altitude in Colorado. Oh my goodness. From there, it's just, you know, what seemed fun. If I'm going to make a vacation, then I'm just going to make it an outlet to travel somewhere that is different that I wouldn't normally get to see and maybe, you know, run something I haven't run before or climb something I haven't seen before and, then when cycling came in, that was a time where I was maybe a little bit overly stressed toward the end of grad school and got an injury and decided, you know, well, you know, the impact might be too much. So let me just try cycling. So of course the extremist that I am, <laughs> like what's the longest race I can do? What's the hardest race I can do? What's the biggest competition I can do? And that has kind of driven my selection in terms of what's piques my interest. And, you know, if I haven't died yet, then why not keep going? (laughs) That's a good uh, mantra, I think, right? You're still, you're still on two feet. You keep going. (laughs) I mean, I think you find that in different times of life or different times of a race. There are different times, even like of a marathon or a 50K or even sometimes of a 5K, you're like, well, this really hurts right now, but I guess I'll just keep moving forward. So... You know, it's a good mantra to maintain no matter what you're deciding to take on, whether it's on foot or on two wheels or in life, which is pretty applicable right now. Seriously. Oh, my goodness. We're going to get to that in a little (laughs) bit. But um, talk to us a little bit more about mountain biking because you do a ton. Would you say that do you do more mountain biking than running or does it depend on kind of the season or? I think it really depends because, you know, ultimately... And for a long time when I picked up cycling, I still said, well, I ride bikes, but, you know, my true love is in running or, you know, I started it out in running or I started out as an ultra runner. And, you know, that's kind of where I really had identified myself for a while. And I still pretty much do because even when 
I want to pick it up again. It's always right there. And I always love it. And I always love how I can just branch out and meditate on just any given trail. And I, that's a true love for me, but in terms of mountain biking, I also love a challenge and I like learning new skills and I like things that are, that scare me that I have to learn. Yeah. And sometimes when you're looking at that gigantic pile of rocks or that next drop or the steepness of what you're about to ride down, that's, that's pretty scary. And I'm, I'll be honest, I mess it up a lot. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. But it's, I, maybe what I'm in love with is the challenge and pushing your limits and learning the new skill. And, you know, in terms of mountain biking, I was, I've, I had lately been driven by, you know, what's the next big race? Is there a national championship I can challenge myself with? Not many women single speed. Maybe I want to just make a, you know, invite other women to do that because that's really fun too. And um, of, of us who don't know, tell us a little bit. I, I'm not, I don't know really much about the mountain biking world. So you just said single speed. What, fill us in. What are the details on that? I appreciate that you stopped me for that. So um, normally, uh, you know, the technology is kind of developed based on um, the, the desire or the audience and the gearing in the bike for shifting gears has been growing to a point that there's there are gears that make it easier and easier to pedal up a very steep grade okay. um you know that for those out there that mountain bike they might understand the term eagle which is a very large cog on the back end of the rear uh wheel that allows for a very quick you know pedal 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 like kind of you know might be termed sometimes as like the granny gear because you don't it reduces the amount of the amount of effort that you have to put into the pedal spin, but it allows you to get a, a, a steeper grade at an easier rate. But if you're riding a single speed, it means you don't have any gears in the back. So whatever gear you pick is the one you're stuck with, no matter how steep the hill you're on. Oh, wow. So while it simplifies things and that you never have to worry about shifting into whatever gear is appropriate, it means you just have to grin and bear it if you get to a hill that is steep enough that that I mean the saying goes it's always the wrong gear <laughs> but it's the one that you picked and you're just going to have to deal with it moving forward and I think that that's why it's intimidating because you know at some point you're going to hit a hill that's very difficult yeah but you also get to enjoy the simplicity of you know a very simple bike and nothing complicated, nothing that's going to get twigs stuck in it because you don't have to worry about extra things hanging off that back wheel. It's, it's a little bit more grit. I would say it's the equivalent of not worrying about what shoes you're wearing. Okay. Going in, not worrying about what food you're going to eat on a long run. And you're just going in like, this is what I brought and this is what I'm going to work with. Right. <laughs> It's so fun. I'm sitting here listening and thinking this is just a whole nother world of mountain biking. Have you found, you know, because trail running has a very distinct culture. I think those of us who are involved in it, um, we love it, right? So what would you say if you had to compare the two? Are there differences in the culture of mountain biking and trail running? I find parallels. I think that the same things we could identify about people that strictly run track and road versus people that trail run, you can probably apply to road cycling versus mountain biking. Oh, For example, yeah, yeah. if you find a cyclist on the trail, they're more like it, likely to share a beer with you. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. know, like that sort of thing. It's a lot more relaxed of a environment and yeah. they're not gonna be like, I don't have the most top of the line shoes. They're gonna be like, this is what I have and let's just have a great day in the woods. Right. So, and I've enjoyed those parallels very much. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's funny. I was chatting with a road runner, a, a very intense road runner the other day, and he was rattling off his, his PR times. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, oh, what's your, what's your 5k PR? And I was like, well, I kind of like to run party pace. So I don't really know. <laughs> <what the PR is." laughs> yes. Yeah. 
I definitely find that that parallels into cycling as well. <laughs> right. That's funny. So, okay. So you do a lot of obviously running, mountain biking. What other things are you into? I, I have to say you posted a picture of roller skates the other day. So what is going on that? Did you join like a roller derby team or what's going on? Well, I've had some friends that, um, you know, back when I was working uh, my way through college, I bartended and I met and I have one friend, her name is Jocelyn. And I think I learned the most about roller derby through her. Okay. And then I have another friend, Allie, right now that has just started to get into it. And while I've never personally had the joy of experiencing roller derby, I find that the culture of come as who you are and we're going to just throw down and have a good time has yeah. been what I've always admired about roller derby. Mm-hmm. I don't know if right now I have the bandwidth to participate in that, <laughs> but I do know that my little sister and I recently were talking about just finding outlets and things that provide happiness or joy and, if, you know, just even if it's something that's ridiculous, just taking the time to be like, this is what I want to do right now and I'm going to do it. And therefore I bought some roller skates. So, and she did too. And hopefully we're going to get a chance to do that together at some point. That is, that is amazing. Have you tried them out yet? I did. To be honest, I have not tried them outside yet. I've tried them inside. Okay. (laughs) So I could get, remind myself what it's like. And it's harder than I remember, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I will add that um, my mother has told me stories that I used to give my aunts heart attacks because I actually learned how to roller skate before I could really uh, walk or talk. I I would use one roller skate around the house when I was as young as three. So I feel like I'm going to rely on that background. Just so it comes back quickly. I even put them on today in between some meetings just so I could get a little bit more of a brush up. And I rode around, I rode around in here. That is, do you have like the helmet and knee pads, elbow pads? I do not have the pads. I have I have a bike helmet that is, you know, upgraded to whatever the most recent technology is for concussions. So okay. I've got that. <laughs> I've, I've got the headgear and hopefully, you know, my little sister told me today, get some pads. Yeah. (laughs) I will follow her advice and hope for the best. That, that is awesome. So you, you, you're on this quest to try new fun things that bring you joy. What have you tried anything new during the quarantine the last few months? What, what have those outlets look like for you? I've relied on trying things new because I think that in stressful times, prolonged stressful times that you don't know where the end of, it's definitely going to be really important to keep new interests. And if, you know, when you lose interest, just move on to the next thing. So the number of things that I can think of off the top of my head that I've moved through have been um, PlayStation. Really? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, video games. I'm very into Jurassic World. On okay. Um, building my own dinosaur theme park has been a thing. Um, embroidery is something I never did before that really? I've taken on. Cool. Cooking, I've enhanced my uh, abilities on that realm. Um, what else? I bought a stand-up paddleboard that is on back order because apparently they're very popular right now. I've heard uh, the roller skates. Um, I've spent a lot more time doing yoga, which is something that I've carried for probably over a decade now that I like to challenge myself with. I like the hard, I like the hard workouts like yeah. before, you know, something that's going to make me feel tired at the end. Um, and those, those are the immediate things. That is awesome. The PlayStation, I would have never really guessed that. That, that must be a fun outlet though, right? I mean, just kind of, uh maybe a little bit more productive than some other forms of, you know, tech, like social media and all that, you know? And sometimes the joy is even in picking out um, what color remote control you want, because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the thing. I personally went with the rose gold. Yes, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, it's been fun, um, you know, growing dinosaurs and, you know, trying to keep them in their cages. So <laughs> it's just something that's so easy to think about and not at all consequential if you mess it up. It's just ni a nice escape that distracts from the difficulties like, where's my mask? <laughs> right, exactly. That's, that's a perfect segue to let's chat about what you do, I mean, we talked a little bit on the phone a couple weeks ago about it, and I was blown away with the work that you're doing. So can you share with the people who are watching and listening, what what do you do? What's your job? Um, and then you can walk us through, like, what does a, a typical day look like if there is a typical day? Yeah. Well, there's definitely not a typical day. I will say yeah. that. That would have been my guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Right now, my role is to facilitate the su successful execution of um, government contracts that are being rapidly set in place to address uh, the situation from a standpoint of like it, a multi-arm standpoint. And some of those arms would include therapeutics, diagnostics, vaccines, um, and procurement of uh, needles, syringes, everything that is going to be necessary to ultimately ensure that those are successfully distributed throughout America. Right. Um, right. I'm specifically involved mostly with the vaccine efforts. Um, and while the, that's what really I prioritize every day, um, there are other things in the background that myself and my colleagues were already working on to ensure, you know, nationwide safety in terms of all chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear threats that has not stopped. You know, there's ongoing research that was already in progress. And on top of that, now there's the accelerated efforts to respond to uh, the ongoing pandemic. So... You know, I, facil I facilitate contracts. I make sure that the research is moving along and I make sure that those that are performing the research are doing everything that they've agreed to do and will deliver on time. And I'm kind of the middleman in that effort. There's a lot going on, a lot on your plate. <laughs> the understatement of the century, yes. <laughs> No wonder the Jurassic Park growing dinosaurs is like a welcome relief at the end of the day. Right, because a lot of these efforts are now, um, you know, we, I, I, there have been efforts in place to prepare for this. That's why, you know, even before this pandemic occurred, there was an office for the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response under Health and Human Services. There are things that have been in place to prepare for this and there are people on staff that have been ready and are, have been, they overwhelm me every day with their intelligence and capabilities in terms of being able to push these things forward. So I, very much, I feel like I'm learning from people who have been in this field for longer than I've been alive. And, and like I said, they impress me every day. And I just said that out loud the other day that I'm constantly impressed by those that are on task right now working overtime, you know, 24 seven, to be honest, yeah. and pushing these things forward. So it's really a privilege as much as, as it is an, you know, an effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously. So would you say stress level pretty high? I would say yes, but it's not the first time. So I, my, but I do see that some of my colleagues, um, while they're very skilled in certain areas and even, you know, what hurts me more is seeing my peers and my family not being used to the high stress level. You know, I, I try, I, I wear that, that makes me worried too. And I definitely feel that, but I feel like in some ways I might be a little bit better equipped for it, whether it's because, you know, I did the squat chung and you know <laughs> I can endure or yeah. you know for other things I've been into you know it's I think I've got some coping mechanisms so I feel like I'm okay but yes it is 
it is a higher stress and it has been prolonged. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talked on the phone the other day about it, but you know, you've, you've gotten into it a little bit, but what are the ways that you're, you're kind of handling the stress outlets that you've got, you know, besides mm -hmm. the Jurassic Park and the roller skating and that, can you speak to that on like how you're personally dealing with it? And then maybe we could talk a little bit like advice that you have for other people and, and how they can cope with the stress that's going on. Cause there's a lot, there's a lot happening right now. Yeah. Well, this is one. Yeah. So, really great to talk to you again and, you know, to talk about things that are, you know, more part of what I would consider my normal life or, you know, things that I would be more aware of and into and participating in if we weren't dealing with um, travel restrictions and masks and that sort of thing. Um, my go-tos are definitely uh, doing what my body feels like doing. Some days I wake up and I'm exhausted and I'll let myself off, off the hook that day. I remind myself that I, you know, I personally decided that I'm not going to be doing any, any racing for right now, um, just based on my workload and everything. So I don't need to hold myself to a standard. Uh, so having a reasonable outlook and what makes sense for me right now, uh, but still holding myself to that exercise helps with stress and helps, you know, keep a, a healthy outlook and, you know, helps me stay on, on task with, uh, you know, healthy eating and healthy lifestyle and making sure that I don't, I don't have unreasonable expectations, but I don't let myself off the hook and just completely fall into, you know, it's okay to sit on the couch every day. Um, if I get bored with something, like if I don't feel like riding my bike for a while, which it's actually, uh, to be honest, my current state, I think the last time I rode my bike was a couple weeks ago. Okay. Um, so I've been running a little bit more and um, like I said, I got roller skates and I just bought a stand-up paddleboard. So just letting my interests guide my physical outlets. Uh, also making sure I check in with my family. I'm lucky that they keep me accountable too. So if my mom hasn't heard from me for a while, she sometimes starts to have nightmares. Oh <laughs> and no! She'll call me. I'm like, no, no, no. Everything's fine. Um, uh, I've actually talked to my sisters more frequently than ever. And that's a huge help because we share perspectives with each other. And I've checked in with some friends that I haven't talked to, um, outside of this and made a point to be like, let's touch base. Yeah. So whether it's a zoom or just a phone call, that sort of thing. Um, and those are the, those are really the same things that I, turned to when I was deployed to Kuwait. And I feel like nothing has reminded me of long-term slight stress that you can't always really feel out like it was when I was deployed. And I'm just applying the same tactics that I did when I was there. And so, I mean, it's, it's working. Of course, it's hard for different reasons because it's not exactly the same, but, you know, just keeping in touch with family and letting myself off the hook and gravitating toward what makes me feel happy in the moment has been really what's worked the best. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm glad that you brought up your deployment because I would love for you to share with everyone who's listening and watching. Just tell us why were you deployed? What were you doing over there? And uh, just fill us in on, on that time of your life. Yeah, so um, prior to working with Healthy Human Services, I worked for uh, the Department of the Army. And uh, my role there was um, as a microbiologist staffing what was termed a mobile expeditionary lab. And that was essentially a lab that you could fold up and ship out on a C-14 and fly wherever the heck you want and set it up and you have what was termed theater level validation of whatever you needed to analyze. So there would be um, uh, soldiers and military personnel further downrange that would acquire samples that were potentially related to weapons of mass destruction. 
and they would send them back to us and we would identify whether it was something that was in process or a finalized product or a random white powder that they came across. We would identify what that was and you know, from there provide input to the command uh, to better inform their decisions moving forward in terms of how they wanted to address whatever material that was that was determined so that's high stress that sounds high stress <laughs> but it's high stress in a strange way and I'll tell you because um so this was 2017 so it was not necessarily the biggest um there were things going on for sure downrange in the middle east when I was in Kuwait uh, but I don't think it was necessarily the hottest time when I was there. So what our role was essentially can be more relatable to somebody that works for a fire department where you have a 12 hour shift and you're sitting around because something might happen and you need to rapidly respond to that. But it doesn't always mean that something is happening. Okay. So there may be long terms of inactivity which i think is relatable to during covid yeah totally and suddenly something ramps up quickly and you have to be there and ready to respond so it's a similar type of stress but not exactly the same and also there was a time difference from when i could talk to my family um still the same long work hours and just being in a completely foreign environment where you're still confined to, I think I lived in, I lived in a shipping container when I was there. Oh so my it was, it was oh. a lot, it was a lot different, but even living in a shipping container, I still had it. I, that was actually still pretty good given mm. the options out there. So I wouldn't complain about my living circumstances while I was there. It was just, you know, a certain redundancy and long work hours and stress. And, you know, if there, there are things that I can relate and there are coping mechanisms that I learned there that have come in really handy here. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And, and you share with me that you did um, your main form of exercise there was running, right? Yes. I felt like I, I don't know if it was a good idea or a bad idea, but it got me through it. it I thought that by going training for a marathon would give me a way to pass the weeks. So I knew there would be a marathon and it was probably about a month, a month out from when I was about to finish there. I thought, well, if I just do long runs every weekend, it'll help me chart the weeks and yeah. I can have some structure. And structure is helpful when right. you're going through a prolonged stressful period. And it did, it really helped. Um, but then I heard that the month after that marathon, there was going to be a Boston shadow marathon. Yeah. Was, for those not familiar, something that's set up for troops overseas where you can run the, it's a, a marathon as long as it's approved by, you know, the official Boston Marathon, right? And you can get an official uh, medal, the unicorn, awesome. the blue and yellow, uh -huh. and the official finisher certificate. And if you wanted to, it would qualify you for the Boston Marathon the following year just by running that. And I thought, well, I'll do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm completely burnt out. I had no means to run two marathons. <laughs> In two months after the workload and everything, I think I ended up walking the last 12 miles, but um, I did it <laughs> and I got my medal. Yeah. And, you know, it was something, you know, I, I completed the Boston Marathon in Kuwait and that's something that I, I, I wouldn't say I'm proud of it, but I, I'm, it's, it's, awesome. a really, it's a really happy memory for me. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was the weather like? Was it super hot? Um, they started it at 4 a.m. because it was very hot, I think, it, and it was very dry. And the um, Kuwait at any given time ranks between 8th and 10th in the worst air quality of all countries in the world. Yeah. So I noticed when I was there, I just ran slower for that reason. And it's just the dust particles and 
whatever industrial processes that aren't regulated, it's re just really hard to breathe there. Yeah. Um, and it's very flat and the course is so redundant. I think I went past the same porta potty maybe 15 times. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the base is only about three miles long. So um, it, it was tough for its own reasons. And I think the temperature that day, uh, while I probably finished around nine or 10 and some, somewhere around that time in the morning, um, it, it was upper 90s or lower 100s by the time I finished. So it was... Yes. I was saltier than I probably was. At the <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. No award for that. So. <laughs> yeah. Wow, man. Well, talk about perspective. I mean, how was, how was that like transitioning home after, cause you were there for, was it half of a year that you were overseas? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was November through May. And I just remember when I arrived home, I got to the airport and I think I flew, I flew into Philadelphia and um, my parents picked me up. And I remember as soon as I deboarded the plane, I got off the jetway and I walked into this like separator, but I could see a TV through a glass window. Okay. And I saw whatever random crap news was on with a crawl. And I just remember looking at the TV and thinking, oh, thank God, I'm home. <laughs> and I cried a little. <laughs> and I saw my parents and I cried a little. So, yeah, I mean, being, there's nothing, there's no place like home, that's for sure. Yeah. Especially after being away for it over holidays and, you know, significant family events and everything. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, talk about perspective. I mean, you have that to draw on now. Um, and I alluded to in the intro you have some interactions on social media that are like absurd. Um, <laughs> what would you say to people listening? Um, Cause I know we, we talked about on the phone, how important it is to inform yourself with reputable sources. I don't know if, if you want to chat about that for a little bit. I would love to get your perspective on that advice for us as not only runners, but just to be informed human beings in this country um what would your advice be you know just walking through this crazy time right now yeah there have been a lot of times where i may have shared information or posted something just even to provide an example even regarding vaccines and a lot of people have even prior even COVID aside some people have very strong opinions about vaccines and i think that I want to hear their opinion. Um, I prefer hearing it without disrespect. Sometimes it comes across with disrespect, but I think it's important to just separate your emotion from the reaction. Um, even when someone is disrespectful, and to be honest, sometimes it's been some of my family members that have been very disrespectful. Um, not my nuclear family, some, it's usually, <laughs> you know, sometimes my extended family, but I don't want to, I don't want to distance my family and I don't, and considering that some of my family disagrees or has strong opinions that I'm not in line with, it makes it easier for me to allow other, you know, strangers to have opinions as well, because, you know, I want to be aware of what's out there and I want to know what others are thinking about, but also I want to know where they're getting their information. Um, I do try to ask them where they learn things. Usually I don't do that publicly. I'll try and message them on the side uh, because I would prefer to individually assess whether or not that's something I want to pursue or not. Um, in terms of where I get my own information, I prefer peer-reviewed articles, which means you know not everyone has access to those because sometimes you have to either go through like an academic account or, uh, you know, you or, you know, personally I have access through work. So, and by peer reviewed, I mean something that is published in a journal like Nature or Science or something that has other scientists 
reviewing that are experts in a field reviewing the studies that scientists that are saying this is what I found yeah learned so you know I prefer I prefer experts reviewing experts research but I know you can't always get that and I know that sometimes the media um tries to be inflammatory or is politically biased so it's it's difficult to weigh what is actual information what I do know is that information that comes out of the CDC website is based on peer-reviewed articles and they are only putting forward what is you know actionable information right. uh, I, I also admit that you know while I have no control of it over it there has been a lack of guidance from a legislative perspective that makes things even more complicated than they might be based yeah. on other things. And, and, you know, that's not helpful to anyone, but that's the situation we're under. Um, based on, so how I deal with it on my feed is I try to listen to understand. Yeah. And I try to prevent things if they get offensive, then, you know, which I've usually been able to stay, hold off. Um, I think there's been, in if I can remember, in the last probably month, there have been three people that I've had to remove comments just because they were not helpful. You know, like redundant meme, redundant yeah. meme, redundant meme. That's no information or conversation whatsoever. But usually I feel like you can talk to people and as long as you acknowledge that they have a concern or they have an opinion that they want to, they want heard, you know, it's, opinions are fine. It's just, if you're out, if you're out to be hurtful or you're out to accuse someone of, you know, being on, you know, being an idiot or any type of offensive language, you know, that's, that's different, but you can guide that if right. you're willing to take time to invest and, you know, kind of heard that. <laughs> so, totally. totally. I, and I personally find it amazing the difference of the conversation tone when it's on a comment thread of social media compared mm -hmm. to like a private message or mm -hmm. even like changing over to text message with somebody. It's just, I don't know if it's just, you know, it's easier to hide behind the, whatever kind of wall it is, you know, through social media or whatnot. Yeah. I'll admit sometimes it gets to a point where I'll leave it. Um, I think the last one I left figuring, well, you can just, you know, you can just let yourself out there and I'll let other people decide whether or not they should listen to you anymore. I think somebody yeah. said a comment like, this is a Democrat virus, where I actually okay. laughed because I thought, <laughs> How cool would that be if somebody engineered a virus that could only hit a certain political party? Oh my like, God. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just going to leave that because I actually think that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, so I don't take offense or feel a need to delete or combat. I'm like, that's actually really funny. <laughs> you just leave it out there for the world to read. Exactly. Exactly. And knowing which ones are like, okay, this one's too much. And okay, that one's actually kind of funny. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is just amazing. <laughs> well, we're going to turn it over. We've got about 10 minutes left. So we're going to turn it over to the Q&A. And I know um, I had a message from a friend who's watching, and they were actually two really good questions. So we'll start with that. It's not in the official chat because she messaged me uh, individually. But this is from Jana, and she wants to know, how did you get into your career? What led you on the path that you are now? That's a really good question. So I was highly influenced by the September 11th attacks. Um, I was, you know, not to age myself for better or worse, but <laughs> I was a junior in high school and I remember I was in a pre-calculus class with a really weird math teacher that I didn't know if he was just eccentric or crazy. Okay. <laughs> he announced that two planes through, well, flew into the tower and I didn't know if he, I should take him seriously or not. But anyway, as the day unfolded, 
I had enough awareness. I remember going home and I stuck like a VHS tape into the TV and just taped the news feed for the day. I'm like, this is, I, I don't know what this is, but this is something. And from there, um, fast forward, my mother, who was an ER nurse for her entire life and also did backup med medical support for their, um, uh, like if there was a Teamsters event, she would be on backup medical just for, you know, whatever squad was trying to keep security. Uh, she put in for a bid to the government to run the occupational health because they did a mass hiring of the air marshals because there were only like 30 before okay. September 11th and then they hugely ramped that up. Yeah. Um, so watching her do that and use her talents to build a business that she had no other, no prior knowledge of how yeah. to build a business. Um, I decided that I wanted, I had always loved science and I wanted to build my talents in a way that I could also be of service to the nation. Yeah. And I saw um, a woman give a talk who had been highly involved in um, people mailing anthrax and those investigations to discover where that came from. Her name was Nancy Cannell and she worked at Thomas Edison for a while. She came to my grad school and gave a talk and I thought I want to get into that area. So for after grad school, I pursued um, chemical and biological countermeasures and how I could use my knowledge in science to be of service and use my patriotic draw to give back to the nation. Even if I didn't um, uh, enlist, I wanted to be involved in that effort. So that drew me down a path where I worked at the US Army um, Medical Research Institute of Chemical Defense. And I had a phenomenal mentor that helped build me. And then I took on a job with the Army working the Mobile Expeditionary Lab that eventually landed me this position with the Assistant Secretary of Preparedness and Response to build countermeasures into the strategic national stockpile that has on hand at any given point what we call deployable countermeasures. So if there's an anthrax event, if there's a smallpox event, if there's a COVID event now, yeah, that's kind of the path I went down. Wow. I think I, and that's probably why I ended up in DC and some of my posts are very related to the memorials that I love here and just seeing the Capitol and, you know, I'm patriotic to the core. Totally. DC is just an incredible, incredible city. I, w- I went down there this past spring for the first time to see the cherry blossoms, but I didn't want to do the whole tourist thing. So I did uh, a run, ended up with like a 50K and just went to all the different memorials. And uh, it was a really cool way to see the city and just experience. It's very mu- very moving. And I, I did the same thing recently with during the Black Lives Matter protests yeah. and went through the FDR and, you know, the Martin Luther King Memorial, and then finally to Black Lives Matter Square, which was formerly Lafayette Square, and it's very incredible right now. Yeah. Um, We have another question from, this is also from Jana, and she wants to know, what was Rebecca Lewandowski like as a child? Stubborn. Stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) I was stubborn. When we would play board games, I would cheat with my sisters. No way. Yes, yes I would. I would cheat. And when my little sister, we would share, we shared, my little sister and I shared a room because we were both the messiest. My older sister was very clean. So my mom decided we need to con- consolidate this to one room. And my little sister and I shared a room. And we would say, let's take turns rubbing each other's back as we fall asleep at night. And she would rub my back, and then I would pretend to fall asleep. Aww. So I wouldn't have to rub her back. <laughs> I was terrible. I was a terrible sister. Does she know? Does she know all this, or is this? Yes, she yeah. absolutely yeah. knows all this. I've, I've, 
I've come clean with everything. Now it's a running joke. I think she yeah. a joke. She, I, you know, I invited her to visit, you know, we are, we limit our FaceTime with each other based on COVID restrictions. Okay. And, you know, we made a joke this past weekend. She's like, you know, it was a really good trick that you used to pretend to fall asleep. And <laughs> That sort of thing, you know, you know, if I had to throw anything else in there, I always, one of the outdoor chores, I had, you know, I was, my sister's got the chores of like doing laundry and dishes. I'm like, can I just mow the lawn? You know, can I just do the edging? Can I, yeah, whatever, just put me outside. Can I weed? (laughs) That sort of thing. But yeah, as a child, I wasn't really, I didn't really care about what, if my clothes had holes in them, I, I love, I love animals. I love science. I loved just the nitty gritty of life. <laughs> yeah. So when you were younger, this is a question for me. Did you, I mean, pre nine eleven, when you're really younger, did you have like a, when I grow up, I want to be X, Y, Z, or did that kind of like those opinions form later on? Yeah, I was always very driven. i think that at one point my mom shared the book with us and we watched the movie on the ditch diggers daughters and I don't know if anyone's familiar with that but um I I encourage anyone that is not to look into it but I think after that I decided very young probably by the time I was eight that I knew I was going into science and I knew that I was not stopping until I was a doctor when I was very young and you know, that's good and bad. Once I got there, I was like, well, I don't know what to do next because this is what I always planned for. Yeah. It's just been an adventure since then. And, you know, everything that's happened has just been like riding the roller coaster of life. And I've really enjoyed it. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. We've got a phenomenal question to wrap this up. What advice would you have for young girls in terms of breaking down barriers? So that could be, we can just leave it open-ended of in terms of what those barriers are, but what advice would you give to young girls um, if you had the opportunity, which you do right now? I love that question. And I've, having faced some barriers, you know, being in um, what they call STEM field, you know, science, technology, engineering, mathematics field, there are a lot of barriers. And I think that the best way to approach it is to assume that there are no barriers because if you approach a situation thinking I need to prepare myself for people that underestimate me, then you're already putting yourself at a disadvantage. I think the best way to approach it is I'm equal to everybody that's approaching this table right now. And even if you're a young woman at a table of, experienced subject matter experts or individuals, you need to approach it with as much authority that you have an agenda and you have priorities and you have something to get done. Yeah. And you need to hold all of those individuals to your agenda and your priorities and not approach it like I'm at a disadvantage. Approach it like you're an equal. Yeah. And if you feel otherwise, then go on Pinterest and Google female power. (laughs) Type in female power. If you need some like affirmations, that's fine. But don't approach it like you need to be, you need to find your power. You are already powerful and you already have as much authority as these other individuals at the table. Otherwise you wouldn't have been invited to the table in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's definitely a, you know, a pitfall is to just have self-doubt. I think whether it's career wise, I mean, even running, I think, you know, a lot of times trail races can be at times male dominated. I think it's getting better. Um, But there can even be self-doubt when you, you get up to the starting line and you don't Mm -hmm. see a lot of other women, you know, surrounding you. I Um, wouldn't worry about how other people see you. I would always worry about how you see yourself and how you're approaching the table. I wouldn't count yourself out before you even get to the table. I would say show up and everyone else is showing up with the same credentials. 
Yeah, totally. So you, you said that you faced some of those challenges in your career. Have you seen a shift at all from when you started to today or is it kind of the same climate? I think that post me too, a lot of the things that I've seen prior to it would have, what I've experienced would have not gotten away with what they would have. I think it's improving for sure, but I think that at this point, it's on us to decide that we are going to show up perfectly capable and do not, do not compromise for any type of <laughs> discrimination or anything. If, if you see it, call it out. You know, yeah. it's, we are fully capable. Totally. Rebecca, this is amazing. My gosh, I'm sad. I told you before we started that I would be sad at nine o'clock when it comes to an end. And it's true. It's nine o'clock and <laughs> we're wrapping up. I think we ran the gamut of topics for sure. For mm -hmm. sure. Uh, thank you so much for just being gracious with your time. I know life is crazy on your end, but thank you so much for hopping on this Zoom video with us. Thank you. It's been truly a privilege and I very much appreciate talking about these topics as opposed to, you know, whatever business is waiting. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> totally. Well, you can connect with Rebecca on social media. She's on Facebook, Instagram. I'm not on Twitter. I don't know. Are you on I'm not on Twitter. Not on Twitter, yeah. <laughs> too much, there's too much on there. I can't even handle it. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, you can connect with her, Rebecca Lewandowski. You can find out more about us, Sasquatch Trail Running, on our website, sasquatchtrailrunning.com, and as well as our social media, at Sasquatch Trail Running for Instagram and Facebook. So thank you again. And as always, we're going to upload this recording to our podcast which I forgot to mention in the beginning of this, we just launched this in the last two weeks. We are on podcasts wherever they're streaming. So we're on Apple, Spotify, Google Play. You can find us, just type in Sasquad Trail Runners and you will find Rebecca's episode in the next day or so that's gonna be loaded up there. Thank you so much, Kim.